Welcome to Be Your Life. My name is Jordan Foss, and alongside me is our producer, Kevin Wood. On this episode, Kevin gets his microphone working, so you'll get to hear from him. Uh, we're also talking to Mike Coghill from Yellow Dog Brewing in Port Moody. Um, we're going to chat about why Mike decided to go from opening Best Buy stores to starting his own brewery with his wife, Melinda. We're also going to talk about the second brewery they're going to be opening in Penticton uh, called The Neighborhood. So here we go with episode three of Beer Life. Today on the show, uh, we have Mike Coghille? Cogill? Coghill. I like that you're calling it a show. Yeah, right? As if anybody's listening. <laughs> and uh, Mike is uh, the owner and operator of Yellow Dog Brewing in Port Moody. And um, also today, which is brand new for us, Kevin finally got his mic to work. So our producer, Kevin, will also be able to add in his two cents. Um, so we'll see if our small listenership falls even further. Yeah, I'll chime in with all kinds of great insight. Thanks, Kev. Um, so let's get into it. Mike, what were you doing before you opened Yellow Dog? Uh, before Yellow Dog, I was working for Best Buy and Future Shop. I worked there. It kind of was my high school job. So I worked there for 18 years before I uh, decided to leave. So I did many different things there. I did store man- sales, store manager. Then I, at the end of it, I was opening all the new stores and merchandising projects for it. So. So when you were opening new stores, would somebody find, like, they would find the location for you, and then once it was there, you're like, okay, you, you basically, like, was the actual structure ready, and then you would just kind of plan the interior of it, or how was that, how did that all break down? Yeah, it would go double way. Like, there was a construction team, so whether it was there or not, they would be in charge of getting it to the state that it needed to be in, and we had, you know, store design and all that sort of stuff that would design it. I was more just the implementer, like, here's what we got to do, and I got to make it happen kind of thing. So you're working at Best Buy selling marked up monster cables uh, mm-hmm. for commission. and Nice headphones, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, and then you decide, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to open a brewery. How did you get to that point from a guy working at Best Buy um, to opening a, a brewery in, in Port Moody? Uh, I, I don't have the best attention span in the world. So 18 years was a long time to be there. And so the you know, choices where you could keep continuing to grow there and find new things, or I could do something on my own and always wanted to do something on my own. And I was, you know, into beer, drinking beer and seeing everything that was happening. And so I decided, you know, let's, let's give this a chance. And were you from Port Moody originally then? Is that why you decided to do it there? No, originally from the island. So I grew up there. And so I saw like the, you know, emergence of Phillips and Hoyne and all those breweries. Uh, then we mo- lived in downtown Vancouver, so uh, for a long time there, I was a store manager at the Robson and Granville Future Shop there, and then my wife and I just decided to have a child, and downtown Vancouver, we didn't think was the best place. I wanted my son to have a yard and stuff like that, and not to say anything wrong with it. We had him down there for a while, but we wanted a yard to play in and stuff like that, so we, we made our way to the beautiful Port Moody, and uh, while we were there, and just getting our settled and stuff like that one of the things that we realized that we were missing was you know that ability to walk to a pub or walk to a brewery and and things that we had downtown so we decided we would bring bring it to us and make it happen so the the uh, interesting note about this is i also lived in port moody and um my wife and i were there and it was our first place that we lived in when after we got married and and we used to walk up and down what's now Brewers Row, where there's four breweries sitting, and always comment about how there's nothing to walk to in Port Moody or do other than go to the park. And then we decided, well, let's move back to New West, where there's a little bit more stuff to do. And then as soon as we moved back and decided that we were going to open a brewery here, all these breweries started opening up over there. So it's like we left at the wrong time. Um, although not that I'm regretting my decision moving to New West, but... Um, but it would have been nice to have those breweries uh, when we first moved there. So there was actually some action in Port Moody, which is generally like if, if you haven't been to Port Moody, it's a beautiful spot. The ocean actually comes into it. So it's got like this great like yeah. sea salt smell. It's good for if you're into active lifestyle and, and walking around and going for runs. It's got lots of trails. It's a really nice um, city. And um, and I think. Especially since you've left. Yeah, especially since I've left. No shit. They started putting a SkyTrain in there like, okay, now that Jordan's gone, we can actually get people here, you know, easily. Um, So being in Port Moody, I'm going to jump forward a little bit um, before I talk about actually opening Yellow Dog. Now that you've been in Port Moody for all these years, um, when you first opened the brewery, 
um, there was no SkyTrain. There was no... The one comment that I always had about living in Port Moody was it was difficult to get downtown or difficult to get from Vancouver to Port Moody. Um, have you noticed just an insane change since that SkyTrain line has gone in basically at your doorstep? Yeah, you notice... Uh, like when we first opened the brewery, it was you know Port Moody locals, people where like where you used to live from Klahani, walking walking down the street and coming down to Brewers Row and stuff like that. And then when the SkyTrain opens, all of a sudden all these people from all over are now coming to Brewers Row, and it became busier and and different. But in, in the way, it's it's helped us a lot. And you know we work in the beer industry too as a safe ride for all our. Are all our staff when we got to go to events and stuff like that? It's great for us in the yeah. long run. So, would you say has it been better since the sky? It's, you said different. I'm sure it's been better in the fact that there's more people easily, you know, accessible to come to the brewery. But um, do you think there's been any downfall with having so much access? I don't think there's downfall. I just, you know, you get with the good come the bad kind of thing, right? Like there's great people in Port Moody, great people in New Orleans, great people everywhere, but there's bad people everywhere. So it gives them a little bit more access to come there. Whereas before they wouldn't have, you know, walked there or took a taxi. Yeah. Or it was more of a locals joint. Yeah, and, exactly. And, so yeah, we're, there's not, we're not complaining about it at all. It, it is, it's been great for us overall and, and you know, just different. Oh, I've been there and it's been packed and there's a lineup. So I'm sure it's very nice for you. Yeah. Yeah. You got your VIP bracelet though. So it's fine. That's, they do make me only wait in the small lineup. So yeah. that's good. I, I went out once I, and I waited in line. So, yeah. Yeah, well, no one, no one knows who you are, Kev. That's not yet. No. Not yet. <laughs> you got a microphone now, so you're good, though. Look at that. <laughs> um, okay, so you're, you're opening a brewery in Port Moody. You find the location on what's now called, they dubbed Brewer's Row. Yeah. Um, when you first saw that there was, like, another couple breweries also going in, were you like, fuck this? Or were you more pumped right away? Uh, well, when we chose the location, we found out about Moody L's, like... I'd say after a month of having the lease, we found out about them, maybe two months, started doing the work. And, you know, your initial instinct always is, holy shit, someone else is opening. And because there was nothing there, so you didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but we started talking. We got along really well. And so in the end, we just ended up working together. You know, the city said this to us. The city said this to us. Liquor board, do this. You know, Jordan's a jerk. All this sort of <laughs> things. Like, we, we traded these insights and... And it helped in the end. So we developed that friendship. We're still good friends to these days, day and everything. So in the end, it worked out fine. We, we opened first and there were a couple months. I think we opened in August. We opened in August and I think they opened in October, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it was pretty fast. So in the end, it worked out good for all of us. And then when you hear the next one would have been twin sales. And when you hear about twin sales opening and, and stuff like that, you're like, Okay, and literally it's the same, call it the same parking lot, but it's the next parking lot over, and you're like, okay, two's working, so why not three? And then you hear, oh, there's a fourth, and okay, works fine. And you, you always, your initial thought always is like, oh, can this work? And, yeah. and it has worked, and, and so in the end, you know, rising tide floats all boats, and, and that's really what's happened. Do you think you can handle a fifth one? Well, there's a fifth one coming. That's very little. Uh, there's actually a sixth one coming, but it's not going to be on Brewer's Road. It's going to be on St. John Street. Um, you never know where that point is. Like I'd say right now, yeah, like you said, we have lines and, and stuff like that. But that's only a couple days of the week. The rest yeah. of the week, none of us do have lines. It's so. different on a rainy Tuesday night, yeah. right? Yeah. It so that's what you worry about is the rainy Tuesday, not the busy yeah. Saturday. The fi Oh, the fifth little one. That's Moody L's other project, yeah. right? Bakery the, Brewing. The yeah. Bakery Brewing. I'm actually having Adams on next week, so oh. I'm sure he'll poke lots Sorry of fun at you. That. I know. I know. I was getting desperate for people that I knew to come on the show. So, um, so yeah, he's next week. Um so now that, so being that there's four breweries on there, do you guys find that there's extra pressure to stand out now that you're on the row? Like I know for Steel and Oak here, we're like the only, you know, we're the only brewery in town for the next little while. I actually ran into Alex, who's opening another beer company, which is opening in New uh, West yeah. this morning on getting coffee on the way in. Um, but for us, it's like, well, you know, the pressure for us, I always find is, is more on the wholesale side of things where I'm like, Hey, we need to make really great beer to stand out. Um, you know, on a shelf and, and get people from Vancouver and the other part of the suburbs buying our beer. But in New West, I'm not that worried about it um, just because we have such a great loyal following and we're really the only game in town. So do you think that there's, you know, always this pressure to be like, we want to be Port Moody's Brewery or is it, um, is it something that people from me looking from the outside kind of just fabricate in our own minds? 
Yeah, I think you just fabricate that. Like, in the end, like, sure, do you want to be busy and you want to be popular? Yeah, sure, you want people to come drink at your spot. But in the end, what we made a conscious decision as a group for the four breweries, once there was four of us, that, you know, we were going to work a lot together. So rather than being one brewery, we were going to be Port Moody's breweries. Yeah. So we're so close down that strip that you can you can walk it, and we, we named it Brewer's Row and stuff like that. So really, in the end, like, as long as you go to one of us and you have a good time, if you go to one, you're probably going to two yeah. and do this do the little crawl and everything like that. And, you know, everyone in Port Moody has got their favorite and, and that. So in the end, more people come down to the area. It's better for all of us and we'll work together. That's yeah. Well, and you guys are lucky too, cause you're in the middle. So you don't have to worry about getting the, the last stop of the night for anybody that's doing the whole strip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which is- we- cause sometimes like red depends on which side you start. You start Moody twin sales. I guess it would always be the last stop, but yeah, which is good. Cause all of their beers are like 12%. So yeah. Yeah, so that makes start, sense. It's finished there. Finished there for sure. Um, so you're opening Yellow Dog. Um, you kind of hear that Moody Ales is going to open as well. Did you already have a concept in your mind of what kind of beers you wanted Yellow Dog to make? Or was that more um, kind of handed over to your brewer that you'd hired early, um, Liam? Um, and you kind of just thought, well, we'll let Liam do what he does best. Or did you have like a, an idea of, of where, how you wanted to stand out, I guess? Uh, well, we had ideas for sure, but... And some of them weren't great ideas and some of them were good ideas, right? So we, Liam and I was collaborative thing. Like we talked about here's the type of beers we want and he would make them come to life. And, you know, overall they've all been good. And, and he was able to make those realities or those dreams realities. So yeah, we had ideas, but in the end we gave him pretty good freedom control or freedom to control those types of things. Yeah. And, and sometimes he tells me, you know, that's fucking dumb. And the other times he tells me, okay, that's a good idea. I'm sure like he that. tells you that's dumb a lot. Yes. Actually, he's pretty quiet. I can't imagine him doing that. No, he does. He, he does. Like, he's quiet. Like, when you talk to him in a social setting, he's not going to be the loudest talker in the room. But when he's passionate about something and he's passionate about beer, he'll make sure you know his opinion. Yeah. He needs to be. And he, uh, Liam, was from uh, Parallel 49 originally? Yeah. At the time, he was working at Parallel 49. He worked at, uh, what's that U-Brew in Burnaby called? Burnaby U-Brew? Sure. Maybe? Let's go with that. Burnaby, <laughs> Uber. And he worked there beforehand and stuff like that. So he went to school and stuff. Yeah. P49's turned out some pretty good head brewers actually in, in Vancouver. Like I almost feel bad for those guys sometimes because they put all this work into like their assistant brewing team. And then all those, those guys and girls get picked off by other breweries and, and, but they always seem to, to turn out good people. So I guess that's a testament to them. Yeah. Like they were right. One of the originals, right? So everyone that wanted to start brewing, they started there really rather yeah. than a couple other ones. And so, Naturally, that's where you're going to take people. Yeah, and it was kind of like that, like with the before them, you know, you had Russell or whatever, and they did the same thing where there was like all these guys that kind of started breweries that started there or uh, Red Truck or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but P49 was like the first locally to have that big tasting or or big-ish tasting room at the time. And so, and they were the new kids on the block. And so they became, you know, everyone you thought of craft beer at the time, you thought P49. So that's just the way it went. Yeah. you know, talking about, I guess now that we're rolling onto how P49 and, and, and they, you know, losing brewers because just of growth, right. And people want, um, you know, to, to take the next step. Have you found with the growth of Yellow Dog, I know you've got two brewers that you've kind of held onto and, and one that's moved onto a new project, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but have you felt that you've had a difficult time holding talent at Yellow Dog when other breweries are open up or you've been pretty lucky with that? No, we've been lucky with that. We have good people, and most of them have been there for a long time. We don't have a super high turnover. Like, I guess the tasting room would be the highest turnover area, and that's just the nature of the business right there. But the end result is, like, all our brewers, for the most part, have been there for three-plus years, and and they were kind of the people we hired on as we grow, and as we grow, they've stayed. And so, you know, we like that, and we consider them family, so we want them to stay. And... With Yellow Dog, you guys were one of the original adopters of tall cans, which now everybody is in. Um, and was that a fluke because you could get a can in line, or was that always kind of your MO from day one? It was always what I wanted to do. I, I like beer and cans and wanted to do it. And, and to your point, like the wholesale world is different. And at that time, five years ago, I thought the wholesale world was crowded versus, yeah. which is crazy considering now. Yeah. But so we wanted something so on the shelves that we would stand out and be different. And. So we decided to do the four packs of tall cans. I don't want to say we were the first, but we were one of the at least the first three to do that for sure. Yeah, I think you were one of the first that everybody kind of noticed. Yeah, you know, and we were definitely the first to label cans. So that way, because part of the 
barrier to cans was always that to buy printed cans, the amount that you have to buy, yeah. it was so large. And as opening a new business like a brewery, and you're not even sure it's going to be successful, you you that's not a risk most people were willing no. to take. And so labeling the cans and putting out there, we were the first. And, you know, I remember going to liquor stores right off the bat and, you know, trying to tell them. And they're like, you're doing what? You have four packs of tall cans? And where's your bombers? And, yeah. And now you go in there with a bomber and you're like, I got a bomber to sell. And they're like, well, where's your four packs of tall cans? Like, yeah, you're that welcome to my world. Yes. Yeah. Well, good for you guys for not investing in a six head or four head Mahin. How like many we, formats? No, six head Mahin. We have. Um, so we actually have four formats. Yeah. Um, Sucker for punishment. Yeah. No shit. Um, we have one one flagship can and three fifty five mil. And then we have good beer. limited bombers. Four seventy threes are the other flagship brands. And then we, on occasion, will bring something out in bottle condition 500 mil, yes. um, just because I like that size. I, I think it. it makes it price point achievable for people. It's not like such a huge commitment, yeah. like buying a 750. But I mean, when Steel and Oak first opened, we were all draft. And then we brought in, we bought a Maheen um, and did bomber bottles. And it worked well for us in the early days. And I still like the bomber market for certain brands because yeah. the... I mean, from selfishly on our end, we, we make some decent money off of them, whereas the can game is always a bit difficult. Um, so it's definitely like, I mean, as you're aware, the, the market changes so fast that, you know, you're, you know, we haven't even paid off our bottling line yet based on, you know, our fi- financing for it that, you know, now we're like, okay, well now we're going to buy a canning line. Right? right. And which is fine. I mean, I'm glad that we're going to have both and the ability to do, you know, to, to put something in a package that we think it should be in rather than just for what we have available to us. Um, do you ever think about putting something in a 355 mil can? Yeah, we've talked about it. I, like, it's, it's harder to change a canning language from one format to the other. It's yeah. not impossible, but it's hard to do. And so the way that we um, choose to do these things sometimes is just by convenience. But I am a firm believer if you can choose the right format for the right beer. So if you use, you looking at yours, you use... Uh, simple things in the 355s. I yeah. think that's the right format for that beer, yeah. right? And, and we have pack leader Pilsner too, and I think that would probably be the right format for that beer too. And so we've thought about it. We haven't done anything yet, but never say never for sure. Yeah, and I find too with, you know, we're, we are, we're in the early stages of thinking about putting a second brand, a new brand in, in I hate saying brand, but a new beer in 355 mil cans to kind of sit along simple things just to get some simple things we really like the look of the box and everything but when it sits on the shelf it sits alone mm-hmm. and so it's always kind of nice to have a bit more of a block there with something else at kind of yeah. the yin to the yang billboard effect yeah and um but the price point that uh 355 mils are at are so difficult that you're like okay well this doesn't make any financial sense unless we have our own canning line um printed cans and and because we put them in a box too it adds an extra cost um <laughs> So it's really a difficult market, I think, to get into unless you're at a certain scale. And I know we always talk about, well, you know, this will probably make sense long term when we do have our own county line. You know, do we do we put this into market now so that we can secure shelf placement with it so that, you know, it does make sense. And I think it's probably how we'll end up going. Um, but I always, you know, the nice thing about that 473 mil is that you can charge whatever, you know, not, not whatever you want for it, but you can at least be a little bit more price conscious for a small business to make a little bit more more money off of it. Um yeah, well, we made a decision to go to 473. It was, it's kind of the, was the same. Like, it was weird, right? Because at that time, bombers were everywhere, right? And so you, margin in bombers is higher than the margin in cans. So it's like we made a concerted effort to sell a lower margin product. Yeah. But, you know, you make a decision and the market will take care of itself a bit. And as, as long as you're priced, you know, where you need to be priced from your perspective and from the product's perspective, then you'll, you'll be okay in the end. So I yeah. look forward to your next endeavor. Did you guys look at uh, when you decided to do the 473s? Uh, was that based on what you were seeing maybe down in the U.S. or trends? Or did you just kind of go, that's the format you wanted to, these beers to be in? Well, I thought 473s, like if you, if, at the time, you were comparing it against bombers, right? So bombers are larger and stuff like that. And 473s, if you four 473s, the size of a growler. So I just thought it was convenient versus what everyone was already purchasing at that point. But you, you definitely saw them in more in the U.S. than you saw them down here. So that definitely played a role. And it's... It's just, I thought that was a cool format because no, it's, it would stand out. At the time, there were some craft beers in uh, in the smaller cans and and six packs and stuff like that, whereas nobody really was doing the four packs of four seventy three. No, so. I will say the nice thing about three fifty five is that it opens up other opportunities for beer at events um, because it's in that twelve ounce three fifty five mil format. And right now, my understanding of 
you know, your special event liquor laws is that it needs to be a 355 mil size. So like when we do events in New West, um, they're like, well, we want steel and oak because it's New West beer. And then if it's 473 mil can, they'll have to crack it, pour it into a cup and then, you know, leave the remaining um, beer inside and then pour that in the next cup and then go on top of it. Whereas when we use simple things, they just crack it and go and it's, it's great. So I would say for, I mean, I know for us, like that, that format is always the bane of my existence as well on the other side. But yeah. then in the summertime, I'm so happy that we have it. Um, you know, it's just the problem with it is, is especially because we box ours is storing all that shit that you need to make the. Yeah. And at that time when we made the decisions, you, you don't even think about details like that. At that no. point. Like you're like, you didn't know that, you know, this one works there and this one, this format doesn't work in this situation, yeah. special event license and some weird liquor laws that when you're just trying to get open. Right. And, and when you think back, you're like, oh, that would have been good to know. Maybe it would have changed the decision. Yeah. But, you know, in the end, it's fine. Works out. All right. It's not best case scenario. And just do draft and you're fine. Right. So. Yeah. Just paid in the ass. Yes. So now that everybody is in 473 mole format, where do you see growth um, in the wholesale side of business? Um, and not necessarily for you personally, Yellow Dog, because you might be in, I know you're in a good situation. We've got a couple of BCL listings. Your, your product's really good, tastes great, it's popular. But I'm thinking more on if you're, if you're a new brewery opening up or thinking about it, you know, going into a tall can is the easiest thing because you can get a mobile canning line in to do that and you don't have to invest a lot of capital in getting your own line but is there room in that market or are we going to have to start going into different formats or just understanding that you know if you're going to make a four pack 473 mil can it's going to get broken down into singles and you're going to sell it slower i i think there's still room but uh beer is retail like in the end uh, you have to be able to sell what you put into that box. Yeah. And so if you can't sell it, then don't go in that format. In that format. So like we said, right beer, right format. And then the other part is branding. You have to now, so boxes and things like that, you have to now make sure you just don't blend into the sea of four, 73, four packs, right? Like you have to make yourself look different and, and, and stand out so that when consumers look at it, you go there. And then there's other things like support your four packs with draft. And so that people, when people try it there, they get there and, because a government's not going to list your product unless you have some sales to back it up and some people asking about it. So you got to, you got to build momentum for yourself. And so it's just marketing and brand presence. Yeah. And I think, I mean, what you touched on about supporting with draft, I think is huge. I'm a huge believer in, in draft. Um, I know it's, it's always a, a bit more of a difficult thing to sell just because, you know, there's a limited amount of taps and, and it's, you know, there's not as many, um, the actual, you know, you can market something really well, have it on a shelf. And then when somebody goes into that liquor store, they're like, Oh, I've heard of steel and oak. Or I've heard of yellow dog. I'll pick that up. But when you're on tap at a, a bar or restaurant, it's a bit, you need that sell through from, from that restaurant to recommend you to their customers. Yeah. And I remember when we were in, in Calgary, um, a little while ago, um, just having some, even just a little bit of draft support in that market made our package numbers, you know, um, they, they went up. Right. Yep. And, and I think people don't put enough focus into draft like, Oh, we'll just sell package. People will pick it up. We'll just market. Well, and that's not necessarily the case. The most extreme example I can think for that to, to, to prove the point. I know you guys go to Seattle and do different things is Georgetown brewing in Seattle for the longest time. They were draft. Yeah, only. That's right. Yeah. A draft only brewery. Right. And so you could get Manny's pale ale wherever you went or Boda Vista or whatever. You can get it everywhere. Like you get literally everywhere in, in Seattle. The day that they decided to put those beers, still haven't put Manny's in cans, but the other beers in cans, they, they flew off the shelf. And then yeah. it was funny to me, like the, the Brewers Association in, in the U.S. just released their top 50 breweries rankings. You wouldn't think that Georgetown is a top 50 brewery really? in the U.S. And considering they were not that long ago draft only. Yeah. And now now they've grown to be top 50 brewery in the U.S. And just because of... Because of all that, and then now the little bit of launch of cans, and that day, like Manny's Pale Ale in in, the, in Seattle, when it goes into cans, it's gonna be it's gonna fly because so many people are used to drinking that beer on yeah. draft. Is it now top fifty as far as volume? That's crazy. Yeah, we top went 50 to, volume. when we were um, in the early days of opening. Um, we weren't even open yet, and we went down to Georgetown, and they they gave us a tour and showed us around. Um, and uh, and I remember like the vastness and how big that brewery was for only doing draft only and they had this like two head um bottler that they would just bottle beers for themselves and, and stuff like that to try and they also had a really unique growler system where they pre-fill your growlers and then when you bring your growler back they actually clean it for you it's had like they had like a, they did like a switch yeah you, yeah you just it's like a uh, call it a a line like a production line you come in here's my growler give it to them then they give you another one and yeah. you just move on move on it's like but in the end 
you know, it worked. Like you can't, you can't argue with it. The system worked. Like I remember thinking, that's crazy. Why would you do everything in draft? Because you don't, you know, and draft is not the most profitable no. thing in the world. But it, you know, I was like a draft. It's kind of like marketing, right? Yeah. It's like it's marketing dollar spent and 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 get your weird on. And so when I saw that recently about the uh, Georgetown, I'm like, oh well, it worked for them for sure. Yeah. Um, so now that you're you're at the size you're at, um, do you still feel you know you're quite a bit. You're obviously, I think you what quadrupled. Probably, you know, you're what probably four or five times bigger than you were after the first year. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, do you still feel that the BC market is pulling Yellow Dog, or are you guys starting to get to the point where you're kind of pushing a little bit to make sure that you're, you know, you're on tap at the certain places that you should be? Or I still think it's pulling. Yeah. Uh, like there's certain like uh, certain things we're still not able to do that I've always wanted to do, mix packs, things like that. But um, it's definitely different though too. Like there's so many other choices that I think now you can't, you can't open a brewery and, and hope for the pull. You have yeah. to, you have to open a brewery with the idea that you're going to push. And, and I think there's a blend between pulling and pushing. And so we've, even though we don't need to, we are, we have started to do a little bit of pushing just because, you know, one day we may need to do that yeah. and might as well start now. And, and, you know, I also like to, stay creative and, and engaged and stuff like that. So, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, for me, I would get bored. Yeah. So I'd like to try different things, do different things, make different beers. Cause we, you know, our volumes based off really three beers in the end, right? It's yeah. play dead IPA, chase my tail, pale ale, high five, hazy IPA. Those, those make up a lot of our volumes, but we still want to do the other beers is because a keeps you relevant with different things that are happening out there. And, yeah. and, and B just keeps, everyone happy that they're still having a creative outlet so they're not just doing the same thing over and over again i think that's the hardest thing right like i know i remember a couple of years ago before we got our new tanks in um you know our taster room was probably the boring the most boring taster room in vancouver we had literally had three beers available right we had to bring in guest taps all over the place and we really like the tasting room suffered because of it for sure and um uh, i remember being down at cbc this was probably two years ago at the craft brewers conference and um and i don't I think it was Dogfish Head um, has a concept where they don't want one brand to be more than twenty five percent of their overall volume. Really, I never heard of that. Yeah, and and I hope it's Dogfish Head, and it's not somebody else that I've butchered, and, and somebody can call me out on it. I'm sure, but um, but they were talking about how Google it, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, right. We'll we'll just get them on the show yeah. coming up and ask them about it. And make but sure the, his microphone works. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, it'll work. Yeah. But it was um, it was interesting because I'm like, that's kind of an interesting thing. Like, you know, quite often most breweries um, have one brand that really just takes off and it counts for most of their volume. But then I think you know, always in the back of your mind, you're a bit nervous about like, okay, well, what if this starts to fall? Um, have you done the legwork to make sure that there's a brand that can pick up that extra volume? And so it was just an interesting concept. I remember my old job. We had one client. Accounted for sixty percent of our business. My boss was like, "Well, we need to grow our business by sixty more percent." Then, and sure enough, that that sixty percent that business got bought by bought yeah got bought by a U.S. based company, and they were gone. And if he hadn't had the foresight to make that to force us to grow, um, knowing that one day we might lose that account, um, you know, we been fucked, right? And um, so I, I think I know at Steel and Oak, like we're a little bit more spread out with, you know, we've got two brands that basically account for quite a bit of it. Um, Royal city on red Pilsner, but I'm always in the back of my mind being like, we need to focus on growing these other things so that if one of them drops that we're not, you know, we're not screwed. Yeah. You're always looking for that next brand. Yeah. And I saw like getting back to my past is I worked in consumer electronics, right? So VCRs, iPods, yeah. all these types of things. I saw a lot of things that sold well, get to not selling well. Right. So it's, it's, as much as you want to prepare, you can never be fully prepared, but you got to, you know, you got to prepare, you got to, you know, try to see the future and, and, and see what you can do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, speaking of you always kind of, you know, wanting to keep yourself active and trying new things. And, um, I mean, active mind, not active body, but, um, oh, really? <laughs> nah, I'm giving you a hard time, man. I saw you Went walking to the gym in. this morning. Did you? Good no. for you. No, you didn't. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, this is your gym right now sitting <laughs> with us. Um, I've always kind of, one thing I've always liked about you, actually at the beginning, it always made me a little bit, um, uh, a little bit, uh, suspicious of you. Oh, suspicious. Um, oh. was that like, you just get shit done, but you don't really make a big deal about it. Like you, a lot of times when people are starting to do a new project or they start to do new things, they just fucking tell everybody about it. Right. Cause they're excited or, or, and you kind of always just did it. And then you just randomly find out later that you, you know, you had, 
installed this this system or you had purchased a new brewery that you already you know purchased a piece of land that you were going to put a new brewery on and so um is this by design or is it just who you are as a human that you just kind of keep things close to your chest or or you know are you are or because you're from you know let's call it big business i guess with yeah. with you know future shop and best buy is it something that you're always kind of in the back of your mind that you don't want to play your cards before you know you actually have a, a signed deal in place or yeah, I'm sure that plays a role for sure. Like I've seen a lot of good ideas that, and got attentions that just never, never happened. Right. Like just you try, I don't think anything's intentional in that way. Like I'm just, you know, for the first year of opening yellow dog, I still worked full time. Right. And my wife worked full time. So we were, it was just limited time frames. We had to get shit done and, and figure it out and, and go from there. And as brands started to take off, you had to make decisions. Other than that, you know, again, I think it's come down to your future, your future conversation we just had there a second ago is, I, I always try to see three steps down the road for Yellow Dog and, my, yeah. and myself, and we try to act actions that are for three years down the road, or you know, th- at least a year down the road, rather than today. Yeah. And I think if you get too caught up in the today, then you'll forget, you'll you'll miss the future, and so never try to hide it from anyone. Just you know, sometimes it's just shots in the dark, and sometimes yeah. it's got strategy to it. And you know, as you said, we we're, we're opening another brewery just because you know more just because we like that area than anything. Because not the um, not the you know exact right spot from a what you call population wise that's the word I'm looking for um, and then in the end you know can you be trusted no just kidding uh, I trust you now um, okay so Mike you recently turned 40 and that sucks um, you told me you weren't going to bring that up <laughs> but uh, and I can say that because I'm only 36 um, now 36 actually am I 37 this year shit I don't know so they always give me crap for here for being the oldest guy. So in, at the brewery, which I'm not anymore, uh, anymore. But I'm now not the only, uh, not the oldest guy at this podcast. So no, that's true. That's that, nice. That is oh. nice. Thanks, Mike. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, I could be of service. <laughs> that's why we brought you on, on so Kevin can Make feel you good about feel himself. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need it. Um, so now that that you're 40, and you would have started Yellow Dog when you were what 35. Yeah, August is five years. So yeah, so yeah. So you're you're opening a new brewery in Penticton, yep. uh, called the Neighborhood. Sucker for punishment. Yeah. So what would forty year old Neighborhood Mike tell younger, healthier Yellow Dog Mike? Younger, healthier. It's kind of like pot calling the kettle black. Here. You're <laughs> oh, looking across the table. Here. I am well aware. <laughs> just because you're a vegetarian now, life <laughs> healthy still, choices. I'm still forty pounds heavier than I was when we started this whole thing. So that's probably fair. That's a thirty. Um, what would you? What would you tell? Uh, what would? What would forty year old Mike now tell younger Mike uh, if you were doing the neighborhood project? What not to do? It's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. Uh, you get pretty excited, right? The beer world. You hang out with like people say this a lot, but. We're not like I'd say with most people, we are not competitors. We're like we're f- we're friends, right? And so it's, it's like hanging out with your friends. It's pretty easy to get carried away sometimes. Yeah. And so you know, you and I are out having a beer, yeah. And it, you know that can spiral into five or six pretty easily and stuff like that. And so you know, you don't have to be at everything, and you don't have to be everything to everybody. You just you know pace yourself and have yeah. a good time. And um, how long ago did you start thinking about doing this project in Penticton? When we originally were opening Yellow Dog, we actually looked in Penticton for Yellow Dog first. Yeah, uh, just different different places. And we, we when we lived downtown, we looked before moving to Port Moody and all that stuff. We did look downtown too, and then we looked at Penticton, and then we just kind of shelved it. Like it just it was like we got too much going on alive, new kids, new stuff like that. Um, real estate was expensive in downtown Vancouver, which considering five years ago today, it's weird to even say that. But yeah. um, so we decided, you know, shelve it. And then we went there and it just did always something that appealed to us. We go out there every we were going out there every summer, do some wine touring and just hang out by the lake and stuff like that. And we're like, you know, I, that's where we want to be. And then like we have a six year old son and he was starting school. And we're like, well, if we're going to do this, like, you know, now now's the time. Yeah. So you live in Penticton now. Yeah, I'm like 60, 40. Yeah. And do you have a, you've got like an apartment that's by Yellow Dog then basically? Yep. Do you love that when you get to come down by yourself and you just have your own apartment? Does it remind you of your, it's so quiet, sometimes. your bachelor days? Well, it's just so quiet. It's like, yeah. there's not someone running around or anything like that. And so do you find you take advantage of it and like catch up on sleep? Or do you find that you, you squander that opportunity and just have too many beers with your buddies when you're down here? Definitely squander the opportunity. Cause you're now, you're not, you went from being here all the time 
and people are used like especially in poor moody people were used to having me come around and say hi and have yeah. beers and stuff like that so when i'm in town like you gotta squeeze everything in as much as i would like to catch up on sleep it's more just squeezing as much in as we can and, and we got amazing people at yellow dog so i, I want to sit there and talk with them and yeah. see what's new in their lives when i'm around and stuff like that so it just i end up sitting at the bar at yellow dog or going to yeah. a local pub it's or beer launches like last name yeah yeah well i appreciate you coming in still for nine thirty in the morning i was uh, a little late yeah, you were a little late, but yeah. that's okay. Yeah, I was fine when we uh, go away to these things that, um, you know, I always tell myself that I'm going to use it as an opportunity to sleep. I have a, a three-year-old and a nine-month-old at home, and I don't sleep at all. I was up at three this morning, then 4.30, then five. And, uh, but when every time I go away, um, you know, I'm like, okay, Jordan, you're going to go home. You're going to use this opportunity to go back to Airbnb and sleep. But then I always find that, um, out drinking with you fucking idiots all night um, because we don't get to see each other that often because we're always so busy and um, and you know with our breweries are growing so you know back in the day when we all first opened we could go out and have beers because we're just tasting room focused and it kind of just not ran itself but it did kind of run itself for how big the brewery was mm-hmm. and now you know it's it's hard to see each other so it's nice to you know we, we almost have to go away to a different uh, country yeah. <laughs> to actually hang out well life gets in the way sometimes and and you want to hang out, but you're not able to. And that, to me, that's one of the reasons I like the beer business, though. Like, you know, Brent, you, me, whoever's out there, Jamie and yeah. Ben from Dagger. We, when we get together, we're able to talk about. You're, you're able to hang out with your friends, but they also understand your point of view, where you're coming from about business, and you, yeah. can, you can rattle ideas off them and 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 get where they're thinking and, and do different things. So yeah, I, that's what I like about it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and and, and watch it, Jeremy deteriorate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jamie will deteriorate over time. Um, he can definitely, my business partner, Jamie, can drink with the best of them. But quite often he gets out of control. And so one of us always has to make sure that he gets home okay. And this trip was no different. Um, we actually couldn't get an Uber one night because he'd had too many beers and an Uber wouldn't pick us up. We're a Lyft. We're Lyft guys. But uh, a Lyft wouldn't pick us up. So um, we, we got him home. He's good. Yeah. Um, hoverboard or? No, no hoverboards this year. Those scooters, motorized scooters. So Denver, if you haven't been to Denver, this is where the Craft Brewers Conference was this past year. They have like a scooter share system. So it's like ride share, but you tap in and tap out to these these um, battery powered scooters everywhere. And they're fucking fast. Yeah. And even sober. Um, and I don't want this to sound like we just go away to these things and get drunk all the time because no. that's not the case. Um, but during the day when there was a conference going on, we used to um, use these scooters to get to the conference from our Airbnb. And like you can get that thing up to 30. Yeah. Like it's it's with, you know, obviously no helmet, no nothing. It's speedy. So I can't imagine rolling around in them from bar to bar. Like they should lock those things. We did like a little brewery o'clock. crawl on them. I just can't believe you just leave them wherever. That's what's weird to me is you just, you, there's yeah. no parking or anything. You just know you're at this place. Just drop them Shop, out front. Someone will come and grab road. it at one point. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, who's one of our brewers, he went over the handlebars. Yeah. Because oh, wow. he if you went, uh, you hit a curb, he hit a curb going a little too fast and just it, the scooter oh, stopped. Oh. And he did not, so he scraped his knee up pretty good. Your Kevin's way cooler than our Kevin. Yeah. Well, he's hey, younger. Hold on a second. Well, okay, that that probably helps. <laughs> hey, uh, I get to go flip off a scooter if if that's what uh, what, if it, that's takes. what it takes. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. You will do anything for the job, Kevin. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, kicking back over to um, the neighborhood and your new project in Penticton, um, why not open uh, a Yellow Dog Two? Why open a new brand, a new brewery, um, rather than just continue with the success that you've already had with Yellow Dog? Yeah, really, two reasons. One is. I think Yellow Dog's got good runway and has done good and everything like that. But to keep that going and grow to the level that I want neighborhood to grow to would require us to do some different ways of doing business. And, you know, one for eights and discounting and stuff like that, where Yellow Dog doesn't do that. And, you know, it's not really supposed to happen. Uh, doesn't do that. So we we decided against that. And then we have we talked about people and long term employees. So we, we have Darren, who is, you know, with Yellow Dog from the beginning, like employee number I guess three or four. I don't know. Depends on if you count yourself. Yeah. And he was becoming to me in my mind, a prime candidate to get poached by other breweries. Cause he'd been there for so long and knew his stuff. And, and he, I, but not even that, I also know he's a talented brewer. And so I'm like, well, you know, let, let's open a project and we have the person built to do that second project already. And, and you want to give him that creative license to, to make his own beers, right? Not just make yellow dog beers and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like yellow dog beers are Liam's beers, right? Neighborhood beers will now be Darren's beers, right? Yeah. So that's, 
that's what we decided to do that way. Uh, and will the neighborhood be, is it the neighborhood or just neighborhood? Neighborhood. Neighborhood. Will it be... Um, Pending trademark. <laughs> will it be uh, um, more just taste room focused, kind of like Yellow Dog is, you know, I mean, I know when you first opened Yellow Dog, you didn't have the same occupancy that you have today, but will neighborhood operate the same way? Or will it be um, a big taste room with a lot of distribution or will it just be more tasting room focused, I guess? It'll be a big tasting room. This time we're going to actually have a restaurant in there too. So there'll be food, uh, which we don't have a yellow dog. Um, but there'll be some distribution that goes along with it because there are synergies that we can use with yellow dog as far as yeah. sales and everything like that goes. So we'll have some distribution. I'm always hesitant with anything you do to put any limits or expectations on things. Yeah. I, I think we'll are open it and we'll, we'll plan that, that that's a possibility. But at the same time, if it doesn't happen, then it doesn't happen. We're yeah. just, it just let, let's see where, what, let the market decide. I think that's a, you know, not a problem, but I mean, and I think that's probably with any business is, you know, go, you go in with an expectation, but let's be honest, when you write a business plan for something, you're kind of throwing darts at a dartboard and just seeing what sticks, you know, you can plan as much as you want, but you actually don't know what the market's going to take you, where the market's going to take you. Yeah. And, and I see, you know, breweries opening up, you know, now in today's climate with these huge ass brew houses thinking that they're going to have this big distribution network and they're going to BCL listings up the wazoo and they're going to be able to just sell beer across province and, and you and I know perfectly well that's not going to be the case for those people. And, um, you know, the market's changing. So I think it's always important that, you know, when you're you know, developing these business plans that you leave, you know, you got your, your best case scenario and your worst case scenario, right? Yeah. And that the, you can still make it work with the worst case scenario. Yeah, I don't think business plans do a heck of a lot because it's you, you, they get you, you money know. from a bank that's yeah you need that don't get me wrong what i think business plans do is they get you thinking about things that maybe you wouldn't think yeah. about before and, and that's the tool that they give you and like yellow dog's business plan from we opened to what it was now like if we it's like not even close like no. it's things changed like we opened with a was it 20 25 person tasting room right with a little patio in the back and now now we have a 110 person tasting room with a 110 person patio in the back yeah. right like it's crazy. And, and when we made Yellow Dog's business plans, we didn't know about Burr's Row becoming into yeah. effect. We didn't, you know, so there's, and there's, there's no so lounge backers. endorsement at that time either, right? We were all just yeah, lounges weren't tasting rooms, yeah. right? And um, I remember in the early days of Steel and Oak and, and um, you know, we had that tasting room endorsement, but we didn't have an occupancy load on our on our um, floor plan. And I don't know if that was, I think that was a city-based thing. So our liquor inspector would never... Yeah, I don't know. I never asked questions because it was like, oh, I guess no one cares how many people we fit in here. And so, you know, in the early days with the taste room and, and you know, the taste room license, obviously, as we know, is, is you're allowed to serve a small amount of beer per person per day. <clears throat> so which was fine, but we would cram the place and it would be like, you know, we're in a small room here at Steel and Oak. Um, you know, we can only fit uh, 50 people. And uh, but we used to just we used to ram it and basically we'd move the tables aside. It'd be like a, almost like a nightclub, but during the day. And, and then once the lounge endorsement thing came into play where, you know, you can obviously operate more like a pub would, um, you know, we applied for it and then got that occupancy load slapped on our, on our sign. And we were only allowed to have 20 people in here. So it was a weird shift from, you know, you talk about business plans and having to change on the fly, you know, from people being used to just getting into steel and oak to now having to wait in line. And, you know, thankfully for us, it took us a few years, but we were able to get at least back up to 50, which is reasonable. Um, that being said, on a Friday and Saturday, we still have, you know, a wait list to get in. Um, but, you know, it's it's uh, it's such an interesting business when you're dealing with alcohol, being at the beck and call of, of your city councillors and everything, you know, and, and, you know, you have this business plan, but you don't think in the back of your mind that someone could actually stop the idea. Yeah. And then they can, right? Which yeah, is... We work in a highly regulated industry, right? So yeah, and it could change tomorrow. Could change tomorrow. Like when we first opened, we used to allow dogs in the taste room. That's the oh, one so I, did we, man. Yeah. yeah. And, and then it's, it's your guys' fault that we get calls all the time asking if we can have dogs. Yeah. <laughs> we, we used to let it. And, and, you know, and now like our neighbors on Brewers Row all are able to because they have front patios, right? Yeah. So front patios, you can leave a dog outside. But we're yellow dog brewing, but we're not, we can't have dogs inside because our patio's in the back, right? Yeah. And, right. So that's what I mean. It's like something that you never thought would be a thing, but regulated and told, no, you can't let dogs in where, you know, you go to San Diego and there's dogs like lying on tables well, and stuff that, like that. Well, it's that like, it's, you know, it's that over, over-regulation sometimes. I mean, here, I think the whole dog thing is, oh, it's, it's a manufacturing, you know, facility. Yeah. But I mean, a dog in your tasting room is nowhere near 
what you're doing in the back, right? Yeah. So I mean, and dog people get fucking angry too yeah. when they can't get your like. I don't have a dog, but my business partner Jamie's got two dogs, yeah. and and I love dogs, and I would like to be able to have dogs in our tasting room. We have like a little set up outside where people can look at them <laughs> to make sure that they're still there, and uh, you know we have water and treats and stuff like that. But like, if a dog person says, "Can I bring my dog into your tasting room?" and and then we say no and we explain why that it's a Fraser Health regulation and it's not they our fault, mad. they still get mad. They still hate you. They're like, fucking yellow dog has dogs. I'm like, no, they don't. Mm-hmm. I don't say that. I let, I let you be the bearer of bad news. I don't worry. I have to do that all the time. <laughs> and, uh, and, but it's like, and it's, it's frustrating. I will say, because everybody universally, most people think that like, oh, yellow do- or dogs in a taste room is a good thing. I actually worked with somebody who was afraid of dogs. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's been this shift. Um, I went to actually a seminar in, in a craft brewers conference about um, making your space accessible for all, right? And that means a whole bunch of different things. Um, you know, having, having, you know, lower tables for people that are use wheelchairs for, you know, um, to making it, you know, just an open and, and welcoming environment for, for everybody. And, um, and then I was thinking about that. I'm like, shit, I'm like, I can almost guarantee that when you're in a tasting room and you see a dog, you're like, oh, that's great. They have dogs in here. There's probably one person in that taster room that's like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable right now. I'm having a bad time because I'm, I'm nervous about this dog. And I never really thought about it that way because people that don't like dogs, you're automatically like, what's wrong with that person? And, um, well, I mean, I guess you're like, what's wrong? I don't know if you're like, what's wrong with that person? I guess I think, you know, you're like, what's wrong with that person? If they're Do cat you not really people, like dogs? I like dogs. No. Um, I don't know if we'll ever what's get I don't know if we'll ever get a dog because I have two I was children. Say, when you, you brought up dog people, I, I oh. was like, uh, <laughs> you have a dog, right? Mike? <laughs> yeah. Two dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I will, I'm assuming that we will eventually get a dog. Because I have two young boys, and I'm sure if they're anything like me, they will ask their parents for dogs. I ask my parents for a dog. I'm an only child, and I ask my parents for a dog. Never guess you're an only child. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I ask my parents for a dog for my whole life. Yeah. You think they ever got me a dog? No. Nope. But you know what they did do? At Christmas and shit, they'd get me like... A hamster? No, they get me like dog gifts as like a joke. I'm like, why are you rubbing this in? This wow. is cruel. Yeah, that's cruel. Yeah, yeah it's super cruel. cruel. And, and they're like, no, we don't want a dog because my parents like to travel a lot and, and we'd go away. Um, my, well, we were fortunate enough that my folks were like old school Whistler hippies from like the 80s. And so we, you know, we'd go up to Whistler and ski when it was actually affordable back in the day. Um, so they're like, well, we don't want to bring the dog up. It's not fair to leave the dog. And they had all these excuses. Um, but my assumption is, is that, um, I will break because I kind of secretly would like a dog myself. Actually, what I really got two kids to gang up on you. Yeah. And what I actually really would like is a pig. They're smarter than dogs. Apparently. Yeah. I thought it'd be fucking cool to have a pig at the house. And, um, yeah, they are smart. And, uh, I don't know. It'd just be different, right? Be like, oh, Jordan, he's the guy. be different. The the brewery, and he's got that pig, right? (laughs) To be honest with you, if you told me you got a pig, I actually wouldn't be that surprised. Right? Yeah, you would do that just to be different. I'm glad I've come off as that. Uh, While we're having this podcast, I just want to make note. I know that you are listening to it and and not visualizing it, but we're in the taste room, and there's actually a guy that washes cars next door to us at the Boyd, and he has a yellow dog shirt on, and uh, which is kind of cool. He's a plant. He shouldn't be allowed legally in New Westminster with a, another brewery shirt on, but... Uh, I gave it to him when we were walking up. Yeah, right. Just, just wear this and walk by a few times so I can see it. Um, That's funny. I didn't notice him again. <laughs> <laughs> so to get back on track... Um, Where were we? Well, we were talking about the neighborhood. And then but, we were talking about pigs. And yeah. We talking- but so with the neighborhood or with neighborhood and with Yellow Dog, do you have another one in you, you think? Or is this the, uh, is this, this the kind of it for the Cog Hills? If you ask me... Three years ago, if I was going to open a second brewery, I would have told you no way. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I don't. I have other ideas for different things too, but you know, the first priority is getting this one going and stuff like that. So, you know, let's do one, and then we'll figure out where to go from there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. We have like neighborhoods different. Like it's not just myself, right? We have partners in neighborhood with other people that aren't. Uh, in Parvel and uh, neighborhoods. I'm oh, sorry, in Yellow Dog. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Like they're going to bring fresh perspectives, fresh ideas, and stuff like that to the to the bo- table as well. So you never know. So you have other. The, you, it's obviously you and, and your wife, um, and then you have other partners in neighborhood as well. Yep. Cool. Just some friends, like, like lifelong friends. That's yeah. that's what it is, and they were been instrumental in the success of Yellow Dog. So you know, 
we had the opportunity to do something with them in, in yeah. Penticton together. And, you know, we love Penticton and the weather and the community and everything like that. So it, it made sense. Isn't that nice? Like I, when we fish, first opened Steel and Oak, I was kind of in my mind, I had this idea that I'd never hire somebody that I was friends with or I knew yeah, because too. I was always worried that I was going to have to let them go eventually. Right. Yeah. But now I'm like, this is such a great opportunity where you, you do this thing, you know, you, you work in the regular, you know, the grind and then you, you create your own business and then you're like, and it's one, it's, it's, you know, stressful, but it's also liberating and wonderful as well to create something. And then you're like, I want other people to feel this people that I care about yeah. and I want them to, to be able to enjoy what, what I enjoy. Yeah. And so it's like the coolest opportunity to be able to bring people that you know and, and people that you care about on your team. And I also think too, like thinking about it again now that like, you know, you generally know if they're people that you've been friends with for years, if you're going to need to fire them or not, <laughs> once yes. you bring them on, you know, before you bring them on board. Right. Well, I think there's a trust factor too, right? Like you put yeah. your heart and soul into this business. If you're going to let someone do stuff so you can do other things or, or when you're not around that you can trust, you want to be able to trust that yes. person implicitly. And then I think if you have that relationship for a long time, like John, who does, you might know about my right hand guy. Yeah. We've been friends since we're 13 years old. When I brought him into the brewery, it was like, I need someone I trust. Well, who do I trust more than him? Right? Like yeah. that's let's, let's bring him in and he can help me out. And yeah. you know, do we see eye to eye on everything? No, but, but that's, that's, and that's good. No, right? like uh, you want someone to challenge you and like, that's the wrong idea. That's the right idea. Right. And yeah. I think there's no good. If you can't defend an idea, there's no, that's not a good idea. You have to be able to defend an idea to make it a good idea. Yeah. And you know, it's good. And, and the same as, you know, we left, I left corporate, like I talk about 18, 18 years, you were selling phone books and I was working. <laughs> I wasn't at Best selling Buy. phone books. I was selling on hold messages. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Phone <laughs> books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so 18 years. So I left that corporate job where you don't have that. You have that. Like I have lots of good friends still from Best Buy, but yeah. it's still, it's a big company, right? Like it's a big things. When I, when we opened Yellow Dog, I'm like, I want that personal family feeling yeah. to go with everyone that works there and who better to help you do that than people that you have that are your family and i've been friends forever so yeah i want to say just in case my previous employers are listening to this yeah. podcast that i actually we it wasn't a big company there was there was like five of us when i came on board and it a was a lot of people to sell phone books <laughs> we were an audio advertising production studio oh. i'll have you know oh. and um Did you have a business card that said <laughs> i can't remember what my business card said um but it was a wonderful spot to work because it was a small family run business. And cool. I actually got brought on because I knew one of the other guys who's now the actual, uh, is taking over as the owner of the company. But it was, um, you know, it, it made me realize that you can kind of sell anything or make anything and find these cool niche businesses and make them work. As long as you have the right group of people together that actually enjoys working together, you can, yeah, selling on a whole message does not sound like a sexy job. And it's not. And I only sold them for a little bit. And I was like, this is not for me. Mm. And, and so much rejection. I tell my guys, when you have the easiest fucking job, you get to sell beer to people. Huh. They, love, they love it. Everyone wants beer. Everybody will take a meeting with you, right? Yes. Whereas, whereas in the on hold message business, I'd have to call 20 people and get shot down by 19 of them to get one appointment, right? And anyways. You're like the Yelp person that calls me every week. <laughs> oh my God, they're good, eh? <laughs> yes. I want to answer the call once and just be like, do you want to come up to New Westminster and sell for steel and oak? Yeah. Because they're real they're aggressive. Good. They were super aggressive. And uh, anyways, I don't even remember where I was going with this, but I, all, all I know is that I just <laughs> want to trying to convince them that you didn't sell phone books. Yeah. Basically. And that I really did enjoy where I was before. And I think I wouldn't have been able to, to create steel and oak if I hadn't had a good team that I worked with before and a great boss who showed me, you know, what running a small business was actually like. Yeah. And, and, and when you work for big companies too, you get good bosses and bad bosses, right? You take things from everyone and make relationships. Yeah. So it teaches you what, what you want to be. And then, so I think, you know, life experiences make you who you are and, and you sold phone books and <laughs> I, I, I hawked VCRs and it was you all You were good. selling monster cables, yeah. upselling monster cables. If, if my old boss, Pat is listening, he would be so proud that I'm back on the microphone because yeah. he was an ex radio DJ. Oh, was he? And uh, yeah, we're all audio guys. Right. We're all from that that radio, um, the radio business or radio school. That's where Kevin and I actually first met was we went to the same radio school together. Well, we're and looking here at your your tasting room record player over there. So there you go. Audio yeah, that's, I am an audio guy. I do like um, I do like good quality audio, which is I'm, do, I'm doing my best. Right. You're doing a great job. I mean, I was just going to say with my my previous job, I produced radio commercials for years after going to radio school. And it's, it's funny now, in a way, coming full circle 
doing this all again like my old business card used to say producer and uh now you really are a producer well i was the producer then and i'm a producer again producer of beer and podcast doesn't that make you feel depressed that you tried to Mm. get out of being a producer to go work in beer and now you're just a producer well i was thinking as i was setting this all up this morning that i was like did jordan just hire me two and a half years ago or whatever it was just because he had this idea of doing a podcast at some when point. When Jordan told me he was hiring you, he said, I'm going to do a podcast one day and I should need Kevin on board. So, I, did well, not, I did not say that. No. I can, well, I, uh, uh, okay, so let's get back. <laughs> I'm going to get back on track quickly. I got a couple more questions before we go. Um, the one thing is, is if you're not busy enough, you are also on our BC Craft Brewers Guild and we could have a conversation about that for another hour. But I want to just ask, what do you feel is the biggest challenge facing the BC craft beer business or industry um, today? I think overall, uh, the BC craft brewer, sorry, brewery industry is actually really healthy right now. Mm-hmm. I think we're grow- growing, market share is growing, everything like that. There are regulatory things with the government as far as, you know, definitions of breweries, contract manufacturing, shadow brands that are problematic or not problematic could be problematic and that we need to make sure that they're you know we're protecting the industry first so you know breweries can invest in their business and people and equipment because the the, the i wouldn't say it's a problem the the perception out there now that you've seen this prolifer- proliferation of breweries is you know everyone's making a lot of money and it's a very exciting oh, business to be in can someone tell me how to do that yeah i know we do this as passion project but now People put all their hard life savings in yeah. there, you know, seventh mortgage and, you know, six phone books and whatever you've invested <laughs> into it is you got to protect that to make sure that people don't see that and they try to find shortcuts to where they were going. And right now there there have been some shortcuts that you could do. And to me, we need to close the loopholes so those shortcuts aren't possible. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, the government has um, changed our markup rate for, for liquor because they realize that we don't operate efficiently and we hire a lot of people and we help mm-hmm. stimulate the economy. And once you take that away by being able to have beer made for you um, as a shadow brand, um, you know, the, the, the government regulations, as we talked about earlier, that can change on a, on a dime. Yeah. Um, but as an industry, we don't do a good job of even promoting ourselves, though. No, you're like, right. That's where we're trying to do is like this is growing up as an industry, right? If you go even to this day, we go to talk to the guild. We don't know how many people, per se, that a craft brewery overall employ like yeah. what are our economic you see other areas like portland like what is the economic impact of breweries yeah. in that area right like they have reports made about this right and that's where i think we can do a better job because i think we do generate lots of jobs we do like with you sport moody like we do generate communities that are and keep people in communities right but you talked about it you moved out of that community because you had nowhere to walk yeah. to now now people want to move to poor moody because breweries are there yeah and so that's where i think we can do a better job is just telling the story of why breweries are good things for communities i i agree and i know like on you know we're always pretty in touch with our city here just because it's a small community in Westminster as it is in port moody and and i have people that you know um you know, that live on the other side of this overpass that moved here because it was between New Westminster and another community, but they liked the idea that they could walk to Steel and Oak. Yep. And I'm sure that is magnified 10 times over by the amount of people that moved to Klahani and Suterbrook and Port Moody because there's four breweries there and it's a, it, because it's, we're creating community, right? Yeah. And, um, and you're right, we need to brag about that. I was talking to Ben Coley in the, in the first uh, podcast episode and uh, about, you know, they won Canadian Brewery of the Year and how I feel like it's just something that's in the nature of our business is that we have a tough time bragging about, you know, the good that we do. And I know even when, you know, if we donate to charity or we do a charity brew, I always in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, I don't want to overdo this. So people yeah. just think that I'm trying to, you know, say, hey, look at us. We're so good. But I do want to promote that, like. I want to promote it more so that other businesses see it and say, oh, we should do something too. We could do some, some better with, with, you know, some good for our community with, with, you know, the following and the, and the product that we have. Right? Yeah, you guys do a good job of it though, right? You're ingrained in, in new West culture. Like I always tell joke, you're the mayor of new West. That and is not true. Our mayor is awesome. Yes. It, we, it's king, king of new West. King of new, sorry, there that you go. King of new West. Well. And you guys do a good job. Like steel and Oak is new West, right? Like the people in new West, think that way like we talked like earlier yeah. we talked about and brewers row it's poor moody right yeah but like think of like that's where you use that example is like daggerette is canadian brewery of the year yeah currently right are they currently Was yeah they year? are yeah currently canadian although when brewery this airs they probably 
unless they win Canadian Brewery again, they won't be because uh, next week is the Canadian Brewing Awards. But good luck, Ben. Yeah. Um, but you know, Burnaby has Canadian Brewery, uh, and you don't even hear no. about that enough in Burnaby, right? Like there's there's things, but you see other small things like uh, we just did a collaboration with. Uh, wheelhouse in Prince Rupert, right? Yeah. So like our Liam's from Terrace, which is right there, and yeah. and Mitch from Dagrads, by the they all went up there and they um, brewed a beer. But like Wheelhouse is that community's brewery, right? And that's yeah. where you're seeing like breweries now. There's communities we never thought would have breweries, like you know White Tooth and Golden, right? Yeah. And and for the and ever is like Cannery and Penticton and yeah. and these types of things is breweries can have huge effects. I think we just need to find a way to get that out there more and like. I was impressed, like when Ben sent the letter from Dagrad trying to make this, the Burnaberry in the official term for yeah Burnaby residents, Burnaby's, yeah, and they responded, which is good. But I'm just like those types of things are cool, yeah. And then as an industry, we got to talk about more like the economic impact that we have, yeah, yeah. Um, we're running up against it. Um, if you were going to give some advice to anybody that is listening that may be thinking of opening a brewery, what would it be? My advice would be if you love it and want to do it, then do it, right? If you're just doing it because you think it's a really growing industry and there's lots of money to be made, that's the wrong reason to get into beer. Um, And then right-size your business. Like, make sure you have the right amount of space for a couple years down. Take your business plan and give you a few more steps and make sure that you're planned for it. Don't go crazy and get too much space, but don't go too too, uh, conservative and not have enough space because either one are bad and, and yellow dog did that we didn't have enough space when we opened it's we spent that threefold try to get that amount of yeah. space so and then you know come in to this industry to be part of the community like make friends hang out open your ears and hang yeah just it's a good group of people and the better we can make this uh what you call industry the better it is for everyone and and that's why i love it and that's why i'm in it so Awesome. Okay. Well, I want to thank Mike Coghill from Yellow Dog Brewing and Neighborhood Brewing uh, for being on the show. Thanks, Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having us.